This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Well, let's crack the mic and talk about your difficult father. Here we are on With You in the Weeds. And we are recording on the second day of January, our first day back at work. It's a Tuesday. I've got Austin with me. Hey, guys. And Shay. Hello. And we are talking about managing your dysfunctional family. That's the big series. And today uh, we're talking about your difficult father. Shay? Yeah. You know, even though uh, we are talking about difficult fathers, um, I, I think we've all kind of noticed this, that fathers and men in general have gotten such a bad rap these days. The dead you guys beat dad. That? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of the air we breathe. Um, and, and let's be honest, some of it is well-deserved. Um, we all deal with a father wound from one degree to another. We're going to be talking about that. And, uh, and, and fathers aren't perfect after all. But, but, but for example, some of the book titles that have appeared recently— um, I, I've been reading about one, I Hate Men, uh, another book, <laughs> Are Men Necessary? Uh, I recently read about a cafe that has been obviously taken over by radical feminists, but they're charging an 8%, 18% tax for just being a man. Like if you Gosh. go in there and get a yeah. cup of coffee, it's 18%, 18% tax. Wow. Uh, it, it recently went under, by the way. Um, who could have seen that coming? But uh, but people are asking the question, are fathers even needed? And spoiler alert, yes, good men, good fathers are so important. Mm. And so I'm so glad that we're talking about this subject. Yeah, well, and it's really, I think it's really easy to adopt an either or. Is it men or is it women? You know, are we going to stand here and defend our honor at the expense of women? The answer is no. <laughs> We're not going to do that because God created men and women and both have dignity and value, all those things. So here's what we are going to do today. Um, just kind of an outline of the episode. We're going to explain the good, the bad, and the ugly. And what we mean is the good is what was the ideal in God's plan regarding fathers. The bad is where have and do things go wrong. Even in the most well-intentioned uh, fathers, there's places and ways that they let us down. And then lastly, we'll talk about the ugly. This is where things go very wrong. And this is where fathers do extreme emotional and physical damage, abuse, and more in a lot of ways intentionally. And then after that, we're going to talk about kind of the now what and just where and how to manage the lives that that we have in, in light of any difficult fathers that we might have. So speaking of fathers, I'm going to punt it over to Father John. Uh, start with the good. Uh, t- say a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'll just be upfront. These three categories come from a book written years ago by Larry Crabb called mm-hmm. The Silence of Adam. Mm-hmm. And he republished the book under a different title, Men of Courage. Mm-hmm. And these are three things that he says every child, whether male or female, needs from their father. And at first I read them and I thought, oh, that's a little too simple. But I tested it out in my Tuesday night men's group, and these are very powerful categories. Hmm. So let's just kick off with them. Uh, Before we do, uh, just keep in mind the ideal father um, is a father that we're going to talk about in an imperfect world. So it never fully works out this way, but within the context of a fallen world, here's the ideal. Uh, Earthly fathers are not perfect. What you look for is an overall trajectory or pattern. So we have to appreciate imperfect but godly fathers who in their imperfection manage to climb back on a good path. They evidence their care very genuinely, even if it's less than what we want. And these are uh, dads who know something of resting in the sovereignty of a very kind and good, loving, engaged heavenly father who's not punitive, but corrective and loving. Hmm. 
So keep this in mind as we look at these three ideals, okay? Yeah, it kind of just eases the burden out there just a little bit. <laughs> oh, oh, exactly. <laughs> Don't have to be perfect, but trending in the right direction to all these. Sure. And, and I, the more I think about this, the more I love these categories. Mm-hmm. The first one is this godly father in an imperfect world communicates life can be done. Um, you're demonstrating that it's possible, no matter what life will throw at you, to follow Christ. Um, This is a godly father who doesn't pretend life is hard. This godly father knows it. Uh, The fallen world, uh, the thorns, the thistles, the sweating by uh, your brow just to make things happen, living under the curse, Um, the reality is all there. Uh, Living outside the garden is difficult, occasionally horrendous. But those who watch this godly father who's communicating life can be done, know that he struggles. And sometimes this kind of a father is more aware of failure than they are of growth, which I I find very encouraging. Mm -hmm. Um, One example I heard Henry Cloud years ago use this example, Navy SEALs. (laughs) Immediately, everybody, oh, Navy SEAL? Like, what are we talking about? So, Navy SEAL. All the women rolling their eyes right now. Oh, the Navy SEAL thing. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I've told you this before, but just to remember that it's pastors out there who. Most Why often, the most often about being a former Navy SEAL. Oh, that's hilarious! Isn't that it, who who deceive and then they they get found out somehow? That's There's funny. something about being a pastor and wanting to claim that you are a Navy Navy SEAL <laughs> in the past life. That, well, so I, I pastored a church in San Diego, and we had a SEAL in our congregation. And I kid you not, the attention I would get when I would say, yeah, I got a Navy SEAL in my congregation. (laughs) Boom, everybody's listening. Okay, but here was his point. When they're doing their most extreme exercises, they're pushing these guys to the point of like imminent death. Like I'm going to die from this exercise. And he said, they'll have a SEAL on the shore shouting at the struggling SEAL, you can do it, you can do it. You can do it. And the beauty of that is here's a guy who's already done it, and he's saying, you can do this. So this is a godly father. It's powerful. It can be done means life is really hard. The realities are there, but you can still follow Christ. I really love that because one of the blessings of technology today is we have more information than we ever have before. Uh, but also with the good comes the bad. And so it's really natural and easy to hear all the examples of negative fathering. Yeah. And if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, I can think, well, that's just how it's always going to be. But hearing this category, it actually can be done. That's really, really helpful, I think, for people to, to realize it's, it's, it's fathering can be done. Well, with one of my uh, fathers, or not fathers, one of my daughters over the Christmas holiday, I failed her in some significant ways like when she was younger, that she's now unearthing in therapy. Hmm. And this category rescued me this Christmas because I was able to look at my own life and say, I can model for her, not that I was a perfect father, but at this point owning the failure, and I will learn like to restore this. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So, thanks for admitting that. Very uh, powerful. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I got us off track. Sorry. What's this? So the first uh, the part, sec- the, first, yeah. first one is it can be done. What's it can the be second done. one? The second one is you're not alone. Uh, this is a godly father in an imperfect world who communicates by his presence to his son or daughter that someone cares for you. Uh, this is turning toward the son or daughter. You know, maybe it's an email, a text message, a phone call, a visit. This is not to instruct, admonish, or give advice. There's a time and a place for that. But this central agenda to communicate you're not alone is primarily one of listening. And I literally said that to my daughter over Christmas. I'm just simply going to listen to you and what you went through. That's going to be my posture. Um, It took all the defensiveness out Mm -hmm. of the room. So a godly father, not that I'm a godly father, but this trajectory, Mm -hmm. right, is a type of father that gives a taste to the son or daughter that the heavenly father listens. He collects tears in a bottle. Um, And the message that's heard by the kiddo is, you're not alone. I'm listening. I hear your pain. 
Um, this is not some dad who has a, disclosed all the details of all of their specific battles with lust, greed, and pride, whatever. Um, but it's a father who knows that they've gone down that path and nothing that they hear from the son or daughter will shock them because, hey, I've been there. I too am a human. Nothing puts you beyond the reach of God's love. His grace is bigger than our sin, just like the earth is bigger than one grain of sand. Um, I know the darkness you face, but I know that God has pledged to do good things for you. So I can hear about your problems without falling apart or needing to rescue you. Um, I'm with you. And that's the message of this father's look. That's really good, John. I, I think the, you know, the idea of what I hear is this, and what I've been reading is just this faithful presence over time, just mm. showing up, being present. I am with you. Yeah. I understand. And then also this idea of not trying to pretend and put off this this facade that you've got it necessarily all together, but identifying with your kids of, look, we— we have seeing the sin in your own heart and recognizing that they're going through the very same things and mm. uh, having some empathy and compassion for them. Yeah. So powerful. So, so good. So it can be done, right, with God's help, and I'm with you. Been there, done that, I'm in this journey with you. And then the third one is I believe in you. Uh, when I first read this title, I'm like, okay, this sounds like self-help stuff, but there's a lot more to this. Uh, this is accepting your son or daughter as their own individual little persons. Uh, the responsibility for their choices are their own, and you are capable of learning to make good choices even if you fail. So you demonstrate trust in your son or daughter's ability to face life and learn. Now, the opposite of this, and this is what gives it some more meat, is like a worried, intrusive, controlling father will convey the expectation that their sons or daughters will find a way to mess up their lives, and I'm the guy that's here to rescue you. So mm -hmm. guess what? The son or daughter, they don't have to practice the life muscles of making the wrong choices and learning from them because they're not given the freedom to do that. Now, the sad truth in all of this, right, we've sort of put this in between the lines, is that most men do not have godly fathers. Very few men can point to even one older man, and I'll speak to myself in my own life, very few men I can point to who are older who have powerfully communicated these three messages. So this is a journey that we're all on that will never have a final destination until our true Heavenly Father shows up. Yeah. Uh, so uh, our fathers um, are never going to be perfect, mm -hmm. right? But also, you know, as I hear you, you know, going through these things, three things, it just, it reminds me a little of my own story in the sense of, of not having a father there. Um, and, uh, and, and I, 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 we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but I just remember um, my very best friend, his dad, recognizing that, that I didn't have a dad and um, who, was, who was present. And um, I, I just remember him saying, hey, why don't we hang out more? I remember him. He was a truck driver. And he, he said, hey, Shay, uh, why don't we go on a, a trip together as I go up? into the Kansas City area and visit some fathers and you can help me unload some feed and that sort of and he and I just remember those conversations in the truck as we were driving and hmm. and just the idea of him just affirming and encouraging. And I remember, you know, I, I just so latched on to that. His words to me were just a balm to the soul. Hmm. And um because when you don't have that father when there's not a presence of that, that it really, in some sense, can leave you very insecure. You're driven by fear. You're never sure of yourself. And um, you're looking for someone to love you unconditionally. And uh, this, my friend's dad played that role to some extent in my life. And I, I never will forget that. Yeah. You know, speaking of you guys telling some stories, um, on the piece, you know, the second point that you said of um, you know, you're not alone. My parents got divorced when I was five months old. Um, and that being said, I think I had about as good of an upbringing as you can with divorced parents because they were both 
uh, friends with one another. And I'll, I've heard this and it means a lot. Um, I remember my dad had a chance to take a job in Denver uh, when I was seven and he decided, no, he's not going to. He's going to stay uh, to be present in the same city. And so hearing that, I was like, wow, he made the choice to sacrifice his own maybe career ambition to stick around. So that, you know, there was there's negative downsides to having, you know, divorced parents. But one thing that I remember was he chose to stay and be present. That was that was pretty powerful. Hmm. Um, you know, the other piece of on this third point, I believe in you. Here's how I think this was supposed to go. And in fact, I really, I do think it happens this way. Okay, uh, shocker, kids are not fully formed adults. Now, maybe I shouldn't say shocker because it's easy to believe that, but kids are not fully formed adults. They're born with the need for love and care and validation. You know, somebody to go ahead of them and learn from and get a sense of how the world works. John, you're talking about Navy SEALs on the shore. That's, that's just baked into how we were made. And fathers in particular have the capacity to instill confidence in their kids. Can mothers do that? Yes, but so can fathers. And maybe uh, for the things their kids do, but more foundationally and importantly, they can instill confidence for who their kids are as a person. Now, if and when that kiddo knows deep in their bones that they have the support and love and respect and validation by their father, uh, watch out. And I say that because that's going to be one resilient human being. Mm-hmm. You know, is life going to knock them down? Absolutely. Are, are there going to be things that this kiddo is not prepared for? Of course. You know, that, that kid's going to have to stand up in class and maybe do their first spelling bee or get up to bat on their own or do things on their own. You know, I'm a little bit behind oh, you guys in terms of parenting. My kids are 12, 10, and 8, and almost 8, and I'm starting to see some of these places where, like, they're doing these things for the very first time, and it's pretty scary for them. But if and when their father have instilled a belief in them that no matter what the outcome of the circumstance they find themselves in, they're seen, they're known, they're loved, they're validated by their dad, they're going to be okay. Bent, but not broken, Hmm. resilient, all those things. I think that's how it's supposed to go in this broken and fallen world. That's really good, Austin. And I think what you're you're talking about is is the call is, is for dad's what I'm hearing is, is to love their kids unconditionally, right? Amen. Um, and I, I know as a, as looking back on my relationship a little bit with my kids, it's easy to fall into the trap of your love begins to, in my heart towards them at times, I'm, I'm just admitting this, yes. was sometimes place, conditional yeah. upon sure. how they would perform in an athletic contest or a piano recital or <laughs> or things like that. I mean, just you, you know, because I, I felt like, hey, this is a reflection upon me. Yeah, and right. I I I struggled with that to some degree. Or I I think this unconditional love aspect, this idea of just them knowing that no matter how bad they screw up or whatever they've done, that um, you know they can always go home as a team. Mm. You can always go home. Um, that. You know, there might be things that look different when you when you go back home. Um, there might be some new rules, some new boundaries. Um, I'm not uh, talking here about enabling, you know, teens or once they're in college or whatever. And I'm not talking about enabling bad behavior. But uh, but it's the prodigal son, right? The father runs right. out to meet him. And so I think there's a principle there. Well, can I throw something in there? Years ago— a guy, he's passed away now, influential, Dave Pallison. I'll never forget this. Uh, he spoke at my church, did a fill-in for me one Sunday. And he said that God's love is not unconditional. And everybody was kind of shocked in the congregation because they'd been hearing the gospel of grace. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this. He said, God's love is not unconditional. It's even better than that. It's contra-conditional, meaning against your condition— your failure. I'm going to pursue you in love. Hmm. That's what you're describing. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. And so, you know, I've told my kids, look, you can always come home. Hmm. No matter what, that's we're, we're going to have a place for you. There there we love you. Um and and I I just want you to know. I want you to face life and and 
with that assurance, with that background that your parents love you and you can always come home and we're always going to forgive. But the movie that comes to mind is for me, Austin, you're not going to, you're, you're too young to remember you guys, this. But you guys are showing it's your It's Richard Gere, an, an officer and a gentleman. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it won the Academy Award for it Best did. Picture. Years um, ago. That years a long ago, time ago. A long Back time ago. The 30s. But, no, just but I never will forget, you know, he grows up, his dad's an alcoholic and they're, you know, and just not a good influence. Who knows where the mom was at, but um, and he goes to the military. And um, so uh, I think it's Lewis Gossett Jr. is his drill sergeant. We're, a lot of Navy SEAL right. meta- military metaphors here. But, but um, Navy SEAL Tuesday. But, but Richard Gere is messing up in the military. And so his drill instructor is getting ready to kick him out of the military. And I just remember this scene where Richard Gere is just, he's crying and he goes, you know, don't kick me out. And, 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 the the drone instructor says why and he says because I got nowhere to go I got <laughs> I have to have this I have to make this work but but what if you what what if kids were raised in a home where they know they can always go home and All that, find yeah. forgiveness that's so yep. foundational yep yeah so so this has been great this is this is the good this is the ideal but but we all know. Uh, you know, life doesn't go according to plan. And unfortunately, the reality is there are bad fathers. So, so here's what I mean when I say bad. Uh, we're, we're talking good intentions, but bad impacts or bad outcomes. And so what this means is that many fathers, they want to be a good father. You get them in an honest moment. They're trying. Uh, I have yet to meet a father who says, yep, I'm out trying to be the worst possible version of a father. Now, maybe you guys have met some and maybe that person's out there. I have yet to meet them. And many, not all, but many fathers believe that to be a good dad, you got to provide for your family. So you got to put a roof over your family's head, put food on the table, clothes on their backs, Um, no shelter, no food, no clothes. That is not a good life. (laughs) So in that sense, they're correct. However, I think oftentimes fathers strive to provide these things for their family without taking into account the impact that these efforts can have on their families. Uh, said, say it a little differently. Yeah, well, what's the impact? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the cost of the father's provision comes at the expense of their presence. Uh-huh. So shorthand, I'm going to make all this money for the family, but that's going to come without me being home. So yeah. there's the impact. The intent is I want to provide, but the impact is lack of presence. Here's a, here's a broad historical example of this. So fathers wanting to provide for their families like income, provision, care, blah, 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 good intent and impulse, but the cost comes at the expense of the presence. And Shay, you, you turned me on to this book, I think, and maybe the whole church. Um, Nancy Piercy just wrote a book, The Toxic War on Masculinity. And she explains how this, um, this war, in a lot of ways, began at the start of the Industrial Revolution. And what happened then is they began to separate family and work life. And so thanks to this, fathers now had to travel somewhere else to work, leaving the bulk of the household responsibilities on mom. And then, guys, if you know, after a long day of work, when you get home, they're tired and exhausted. But guess what's waiting for them when they get home? a day's worth of problems, issues, stresses, other responsibilities. And so understandably, but unfortunately, over time, historically, rather than hang in there and help manage this load that a lot of times the the mothers and other families would be carrying, many fathers chose to, and they still choose, to check out. Well, yeah. Can I give an an illustration of this? Uh, Yeah. Really wealthy lawyer I knew when we got married, Paul and I, we were sitting around having like a party celebrating our forthcoming marriage. This Mm -hmm. guy was a super successful lawyer, worth Mm -hmm. millions and millions. And we were all just kind of joking because he'd been married a long time and a couple of other old geezers were in there. And he goes, John, I'm going to give you some advice. He goes, you're going to excel in your career and people are going to reward you at work and you're going to have your own office and you're going to come home and he goes just learn to do what i've learned to do over the years open up the door and say i'm home i'm stupid and i have no idea what i'm doing (laughs) (laughs) and i think that's the way a lot of men feel yeah because we're we've been out you know i think it back then because today we're living most probably you know, moms are in the working world, and and mm-hmm. so it's it's very much even. So, but 
Yeah. Well, but, but the women have fathers the, felt that. Way. Yeah, exactly. Because women have this built in wiring from God to know how to nurture. And so they can spin seven or eight different relational plates. And guys have about one relational plate. Right. They've been spinning it all day. Right. right. And they come home and, like, they don't know how to do the balancing. Right, act. right. Well, and, you know— And they feel so, shame from that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, so you know, just to skip ahead a little bit, Piercy in the book points out that even the COVID and, and people working from home and, and working via Zoom or whatever it might be, that for a lot of men, it's put them back in the home and— it, that's been a good thing. That's been a good hmm. development of both the, the man and the woman working, but also the man being more present in the home and helping with the kids. And so maybe the trajectory for future generations is going to be going to be on a good path. Well, and what was so interesting I about this— I should just go home now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> be done with this. What's so interesting about this is she points this dynamic out. This wasn't always the case where women stay home and work and the men go make the money. You know, she brings up the example of Davy Crockett, you know, the ideal Lone Ranger man, brave in the frontier at the time, you know, and I think it's the early 1800s, he was viewed as a, a savage going backward because it was this, again, affected the industrial evolution. Men are now being separated from the home. This is not normal. So I just thought that that was a fascinating hmm. dynamic. I think that explains a little bit of, of how we got here. Yeah, and she, she points out in that book that the whole Western uh, genre came about as, as, you know, men are, you know, escaping the a little bit from the Public oh, humiliation, like Western of work. movies, all that, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and books and yeah. that sort of thing. That they're okay, so they're going to work as part of the industrial revolution. They're having to compete with other men. They're separated from their families, and in that competition uh, with other men, they might be publicly humiliated and and not measure up. Um, and then uh, when they get home, they feel out of touch with their kids and their family and what's going on. Um, and, and so this whole Western genre came about where the real man is seen as kind of the gunslinger, mm -hmm. right, Who's, who, who rides into town. Tell that story, Shane. You know, it's he great. defeats <laughs> the bad guys, and then he rides off into the sunset, yeah. and, and he's never really put, he never really puts roots down, mm. right? That's right. The, the classic model of what it means to be a man. It's not the guy staying home, taking care of the kids, and and supporting the wife and that sort of thing. It's this, it's it, it's this this type of guy, and um, and, yeah. and so that that became uh, common within mm -hmm. all of these Western movies mm -hmm. until. Yeah, until the Magnificent, Magnificent Seven. Seven. That's exactly right. <laughs> and I've actually never seen this movie, but right, the 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 gunslingers, uh, they they ride into town, they defeat the bad guys, and the sons of the men living in this town, they watch these guys do this, right? And these sons start mocking their own fathers who are living in that town and who wouldn't defeat the bad guys as being cowards. And and Charles Bronson um, says to the boys, he's he's one of the, the he, one of the cowboys. Yeah, right? he's one of the cowboys. Yeah. He's one of the gunslingers. He says <laughs> he says this to the boys. He says, "Don't you ever say that again about your fathers because they're not cowards. You think I am brave because I carry a gun. Well, your fathers are much braver because they carry responsibility for you, your brothers, your sister, and your mothers." I never had that kind of courage. <laughs> wow, that's a great. That is a great line. It is a great line. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And so, um, and and that's what you know. Piercy points out in the book is Christianity is calling fathers to see that. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage to be to to um, embrace their responsibilities in their home, but also this idea of providing the the and being tender and loving and compassionate with both your kids and, and your wife. It's not only provision, but it's also being emotionally present as well. And I think we as men see that as weakness. And the one thing men despise is weakness. Yeah. Anything yeah. that puts them at a disadvantage. But sure. Charles Bronson said it takes courage. Yeah. It, it takes it, courage it, to it stay. Takes courage that, yeah. You got to right. face your weakness. And I, I want to point out one other thing. I, I think this was interesting, though, is it, there was a Harvard study done. I know Harvard's getting a lot of a lot of flack lately, but so don't tune me out. But but I, I think this is really good. But they they uh, researchers followed men over eighty years. Okay, so this is a long term study, and they found that 
the men who are the most happy in life, who who rated the and and said that they were the most happy, were not because of fame, wealth, social class. It was not because of their professional achievement, but overwhelmingly, the key factor in mental health was having close relationships with other people. It was um, it was men who were committed as as husbands and fathers. And who were fulfilling that role that God has created us to 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 be? I saw that study. Yeah, really, really interesting. And even single men, right? In 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 this study, who can be fathers in their community, can mentor other people uh, in churches. They they can be involved in discipling yeah. other people. Right? They were the ones who. Those who were involved in relationships scored the highest in terms of life satisfaction. It's yeah. a good good example of a you know a secular study confirming some biblical truths that turns out we really were created to be you know in a relationship and have connection with others. Well, let's um, keep going with Nancy Piercy. Yeah. Well, so the other the other thing you know we're still we're talking about kind of the bad uh, of the fathers. Um, just she asks kind of a rhetorical question: Where has this ethos of Lone Ranger men gotten us? Well, she gives some telling statistics, and I would say that these statistics show just the unfortunate fruit of the isolation and desertion of fathers. And so, so listen to these. Teens with absent fathers, they account for 63% of suicides in teenagers, 85% of the kids with behavioral disorders, 90% of homeless and runaway children, 71% of high school dropouts, and 85% of kids incarcerated. These these kids, these teens did not have fathers in the home. Now, mm. I, you know, I read these less to try and, you know, catastrophize or shame people and more just to illustrate just the negative impacts that can come from the lack of a father's presence despite their best intentions. So, you know, the book titles you mentioned at the beginning, Shay, mm-hmm. are fathers needed? <laughs> yes. Because look at what's happening right. at their, you know, their absence. Um I don't know. Uh, any other thoughts on this? Where else have you seen, you know, the bad on display? Yeah, um, I, you know, you, you didn't mention this, but I, I would just, I think we could probably add um, so much poverty in America, mm. right? I'm sure there's a correlation mm-hmm. between an absent um, father and, mm-hmm. and poverty. Um, it's just not popular research. When the research is done, it shows how impactful the father is, mm-hmm. but it doesn't get a lot of airplay yeah. in the media. Yeah, and I think it's another thing that Piercy does point out in the book, though, because we 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 beat up on absent fathers, right? But there are also, she points out, there are also many fathers who are present in the home, but— emotionally they're checked out totally whether it's alcoholism or drugs or their hobbies their idols whatever it might be just sports and laziness that that sort sure. of thing and they're not really emotionally involved and 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 talking with their kids and and they're not emotionally present and and kids pick up on that and, oh, and yeah. they see that and so <clears throat> even though they're there maybe providing financially they're not really there and that that has that can have impact. Yeah, they're uh, they're one one of my mentors put it like this: they're doing love, right? Hey, I'm giving you clothes, food, shelter, school, but they're not communicating love, mm-hmm. right? They're right. there, but they're not there. Yeah. So we've talked about the bad. Um, you know, we also just want to address the unfortunate ele- elephant in the room, and that's the ugly mm-hmm. <laughs> father. John, you want to start us off? Share just a little bit more on what you've seen the ugly looking like with regards to fathers. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously, if you have a father who intentionally um, is hurting slash harming his family, that's Mm -hmm. more sociopathic stuff. Mm -hmm. That's like at the extreme. Um, And that's pretty obvious, right? The abusive, sexually, physically, emotionally Mm -hmm. father who just doesn't even can't see what they're doing, don't care to see what they're doing. And it's like, you know, they kill somebody, eat a hamburger, and then wipe their mouth, and they're fine. Yeah, right. That, yeah. That's the extreme. I think most of our audience is going to fall into fathers who unintentionally mm-hmm. abuse their children without knowing it because they grew up in environments where, well, that was just normal. Now, maybe this is a bit generational, but I grew up in a generation where, you know, spanking was the big deal. 
But a lot of what passed as spanking was physical abuse Mm -hmm. under the umbrella of, well, you need to go out there behind a woodshed, son. Mm -hmm. Right. Take your beating. And and it's it was fathers or mothers hitting their kids out of anger. Yeah. 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 And it still goes on today. Yeah. Just yeah. absolutely no awareness of yeah. the connection between emotions and behavior and the impact of that behavior. And you know, we can go into other forms of sure. like emotional abuse. Yeah, and it's you know, really subtle. My guess is this is a little bit of an occupational hazard for us as counselors. I mean, pastors for sure too, but you know, we're hearing and sometimes the best, but also a lot of the worst. Yes. And so, you know, we're not going to sit here and share story time, but just just enough to know, right? There's the good father, there's the bad father, and then there's the ugly father. And if you're listening, you know, unfortunately, you might have an experience with an ugly father. Um, now, at it, this can, point— Can I just—I I want yeah, to point out that, go ahead. you know, real quick, too, it's amazing in, in being a pastor, and I'm sure you guys have picked up on this pattern, is that the ugly— the abuse gets passed on from generation to generation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Unless yes. someone stops it, right? Yes. And I, you hear it. You're like, oh, this, 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 this abuse went on in my family, and it just got passed yep. down. And because people model yes. what they see. Well, yes. and, and it's just. A, I'm glad you cut me off there because that's a perfect transition to now what we're going to do. How does it stop? Mm. Well, there's some practical things um, that that you can do. Um, and so, you know, maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, great, you've just named everything I already know. You know, that's me. You've nailed my experience, but what do I do now? Like, Shade, you just said, how do I stop it if it's been a generational thing? What do I do with this father hunger and a longing to be seen and known and validated? Well, well, here's what we'll do. We'll break this down into three different parts. First, we're going to speak to things that everybody can do, men and women. Second, we'll speak directly to men and things fathers can do. And then lastly, we'll speak to women and moms. So first, just some things that everyone can do. We say this all the time. We're going to keep saying it, grieve. Hmm. Um, We say this because it works (laughs) and it's how we're wired. You know, grieve the fact that you had or have a difficult father. You know, name the ways in which you were let down, you were disappointed, you were hurt. Write it down. Talk to somebody about it. Um, maybe look at pictures. I have clients, you know, hey, as we're going through their past, look for some old pictures. What did you look like? What were you wearing? What was your facial expression? That could often be the doorway into just mm-hmm. grieving and realizing, yeah, on the outside, things look great. But on the inside, it was really, really sad. Well, a and, lot of Christians get stuck here. Yes. Because they don't want to dishonor exactly. their father or mother. And, you know, naming those things, that does not take away from the good that your father did or does for you. People are more complex than that. So we can separate those two. Um, Last thing for me on this point, look to scriptures just for reminders of the way in which God is our father who's never going to leave us. Two of my favorites are Psalm 2710. It says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me in. And then Matthew 28, verse 20, this is the great commission, Jesus saying this to his disciples and anybody trying to follow him. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. And sometimes your parents might be, your father might be, but he might not be, but Jesus always is. Yeah, I one two big ways that you can break down categories of things to grieve is you have um, a software in your head that your father put in there. And that you have to deprogram because that orchestrates all the ways in which you automatically respond and interact to mm, relationships. So you're, you're talking about life. looking at the father that you did have. The father you did have, yeah. the patterns you inherited, and how you learn to cope with those relational patterns and develop your own in response to what your fathers did. That's your programming, and everybody has it. So on the one hand, you have to look at the father you did have and what's the programming, the bad programming in there that needs to be reprogrammed and, you know, reassessed and reorganized. And that's really the work of um, your own insight, developing your own awareness, working with a counselor, a pastor, some close friends. So you start looking at, hmm, so this is the reason I feel uncomfortable around my boss all the time. Because I felt uncomfortable around my dad all the time Mm -hmm. when he was in charge. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's built-in software. You have to start reprogramming. The other thing is you look at the father you didn't have. Like what's missing? And oftentimes what's missing is more powerful than what's actually there. Mm. 
because you go hungering for those things that you're missing because God designed you for them. They don't go away. And like if you didn't get your father's approval, you're looking everywhere for approval. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great that's a great transition, uh, even to, to speaking just directly to men. And Shay, you brought this up in our planning movie, meeting. You came across a great book with some very practical things for men. Go. go. <laughs> yeah, I thought I, mentioned, I might just mention a, a few of these uh, quickly, but Robert McGee, who uh, wrote that best-selling book, what, Search for Significance, um, years ago. But he's got a book called Father Hunger, and in it they interviewed kids, and they, they were, mm. you know, what, what made your dad a good dad? And so they did all this research, and there were several themes that kept coming up that I thought were kind of interesting, just really good reminders for dads of, of you know, focus on these things and and uh, do these things. But the, the number one thing that came up was just, just time. Um, it mm. wasn't um, being there, being present. Uh, it wasn't gifts. It wasn't wow. <laughs> money. Although my kids would they like their gifts. They like their money, but uh, maybe they're bucking the trends. <laughs> but uh, just just spending time. But then also just focused attention. So I, I mentioned this earlier, but dads who um, are are really present, not checked out, and 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 spending focused time with your family. Um, I I've found that you know quality versus quantity people will say well I'm going to do quantity you know time and or I'm going to do quality time I'm going to focus upon that and but I found that you can't reproduce those great moments of just you know it usually it just happens when you're when you're there present and doing life right together. so maybe it begins with quantity then that can transform into the quality yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. we we've talked about you know good dads protect their families um, mm-hmm. protect their kids um, the good dads, they, they provide, you know, uh, financially comfort, security. Um, I think just being emotionally attuned with your kids and, mm-hmm. and their fears and from even when they're little, you know, sleeping alone at night without a light, you know, for the very first mm-hmm. time and, and understanding the fears and, and versus just, hey, suck it up, you know, that, that kind of a dad um, versus the fears that they have when they go to college or even finding a job or finding a spouse. And, and so good dads are attuned to those fears and affirm their kids in them. And um, they, as we've been talking about, let their kids know that we're in their corner. Um, uh, good dads communicate. You keep talking with even your teens, right? In <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They give you one-word answers. You keep asking them good questions. Stay at it. Yeah. Uh, so it takes being, a lot of patience. Being proactive. Right. Don't don't give up, even if they're giving you the proverbial or maybe literal middle finger. Right. That's exactly <laughs> right. right. Well, that's their job. <laughs> that's their right. job. That's what they're supposed right. to do. Right. 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 Uh, forgiveness. You forgive them. We've talked about that. That yeah. idea of you can always come home. Uh, good. Good dads and moms provide discipline. Uh, you have to have boundaries. Um, with your kids. But uh, also, I, I think, um, you know, he mentions this in the book, and I, I can definitely identify with this in being a father, is just accepting them for how God has made them and their gifts hmm. and their interests. And so um, if your child doesn't want to play in the NFL, that's okay. They're probably not going to play in the NFL anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Chances are, right. uh, but if they like playing the piano, let them play the piano, and uh, just so accepting them. Um, I, I think also one thing that we haven't mentioned is just the importance of just physical touch, hugging mm-hmm. your kids, mm-hmm. um, letting them know you you love them. Um, so many kids can't remember their dads ever hugging them or saying. I love you. Mm-hmm. I love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so important. And then finally, the last thing is just being a role model, mm-hmm. right? Our, our kids are watching us all the time, and so we have to remember we're never perfect. But if 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 the parents are racially prejudiced, that's going to get passed down to the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you if kids grow up in a home where there's always drinking, where there's alcoholism, it just you know, common sense says that that might get passed down to the kids as well. Well, I've seen that in Jack and Emma. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, because they grow up thinking, hey, this is just normal life, right? We have right. to remember, they grow up thinking, hey, this is normal life. Is that I'm an bad. edit point or is that a joke we'll I should leave it? edit, edit <laughs> that out. But um, 
But um, and then be a role model. Be be a be a role model. Yeah. And, More is learned that is caught than taught. Yeah. And and I might I might conclude with this. Um, I think. You know, sometimes kids blame themselves if they didn't have a father or a mother that that modeled these healthy things, um, or that you know, even if a, a, a parent was abusive, um, they didn't play the role that they should have. Uh, lots of times, kids think it's their fault mm-hmm. that that it was something about them, and that's why mom and dad acted the way. They did, and and I mentioned that you know the movie Good Goodwill Hunting yes. comes up where uh, Matt Damon's raised by right a dad who's abusing him, and and he thinks it's his fault, and and so Robin Williams, the therapist, you know it, the breakthrough comes when when he, when Matt Damon begins to realize that that mm-hmm. that it wasn't his fault, and there's that powerful scene in that mm-hmm. movie. That's what. What came to mind, and then you guys, I think Austin, you had mentioned this earlier that if if you know, if we don't have a father around, or however our dad had let us down, that we have a heavenly father who loves mm-hmm. us unconditionally. Well, yeah, and you can get stuck in this process of looking for whose fault it is. It's natural for kids to think it's their fault because they think their mom and dad are like little gods when they're growing up, and they can do no wrong. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I can't think they're wrong. I'm wrong. And then you can, so you can absorb that like it's all my fault and protect your parents. Or you flip to the other side. It's all my parents' fault, not my fault. But it really misses the whole point that we're in this imperfect world where sin has its own ambitions to destroy us. And it works through every person, every relationship. Yep. It's great. So yeah, John. it's the yeah. big problem of damage that's been done. And you have to be able to look at, even though it was my mom and dad, and even though there are good parts to them, they did some things that they're responsible for. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. So so we've talked about, um, you know, what can fathers do? Um, and we're nearing towards the end, but I also just want to speak directly to women and maybe to moms out there. So, John, what, what would you say specifically there? Yeah, I think we talked about this earlier, and this is both applicable to male and female parts, in other words, men and women, Um, look and recall. So Mm -hmm. grieving is one thing, Mm -hmm. right? And that's where we've been. Mm -hmm. The father you had or didn't have, grieving the loss, Mm -hmm. um, being able to name things. The other thing is to look and recall. And what that basically means is whether you're a man or a woman, you look for fatherly characteristics that you need, that you didn't get, and you look for it in scriptural models. You know, maybe you look at a Moses, an Elijah, a Job, or a Peter, men who struggled, men who failed. Um, but they showed, hey, this can be done, and God is present with me. Um, you look for key places that you have been fathered, who played those roles in your life, and who in your life now, whether male or female, can give you some of those characteristics that you're missing. The other thing is to what we're going to call activate. So let's suppose you haven't had the father that you wanted and it's not been ideal. Hi, that's everybody, right? Mm -hmm. You can start giving some of those things to other younger people Mm -hmm. in your lives Mm -hmm. or friends. And the key thing to understand in that is as you give, you're reinforcing something that you didn't get that you're starting to build into your own character. Mm. So if you didn't get approval, you look for somebody in your life who needs approval and you actively give that to them, Mm. you're reinforcing in your own life, Mm -hmm. hey, it exists and I can give this away. And in some ways, maybe that's what Jesus meant when he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Mm -hmm. I like that. So you're building this image of I never got approval, but I can give it away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, the key thing is that will never erase the void that you have in your own life, having missed out on that approval from that parental figure. Right. Right. But what it will get replaced with is what Larry Crabb calls joy. And what I love about putting joy in here is he defines it as a Christian gift that sustains you in the midst of your suffering 
and that void you feel while you give. Mm-hmm. It doesn't erase the void. Right. So you're doing this realizing that void's gone. That's never going to get filled the way you wanted it to. train has left the station. Right. And there's still things that you can do. Yeah. yeah. And you're looking for your Heavenly Father to come yeah. to completely, yeah. like, fill that up. You know, the other the other thing that I'll say just in particular with, with women, and I say this very humbly because <laughs> it's not necessarily something I can do. I've been so um, thankful when Polly has— um, affirmed my dignity and value as a man in front of our kids. Mm. Mm-hmm. In other words, she hasn't bought into this, I'm just going to crap on men all the time. And so maybe something to consider uh, when it's appropriate is to just be mindful of how are you speaking about men? You know, are there ways and times and things that need to be talked about that are not okay from men? Absolutely. But also, let's not, let's just maybe be mindful of how are women, how are you speaking about men to your friends, maybe even to your kids? Just something to consider. And again, I say that very humbly because I can't do this because I'm not a woman. But I, I, in, in, well, my own, I, in my own life, that's been very helpful and affirming from when I've heard that from my wife. I think it's a great point. Because, it's a great point. Because it kind of goes back to the culture that we live in. Yep. Kids are not receiving positive messages about men or their fathers. They're, they're not seeing shows on TV. Every, every show that portrays a father, he's, a, he's the Homer Simpson. He's kind right. of a dimwit. And, and so— um, I really like what you said and about about you know we need to affirm fathers and their importance and the goodness of men, well, um, as as well. And you and let's just say this: probably more women are going to hear this episode than men, mm-hmm. and they're going to go to their husbands or male friends saying, "You you really need to listen to this." Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll say it and say it humbly: uh, part of the curse of being a woman is you're wired to see things relationally faster than your husband. Mm. And you can see what needs to be done and where he's dropping the ball. Mm -hmm. So submitting to Jesus, if I can use the S word, really literally means I could do this better than my husband, but I need to give him space Mm -hmm. to be appreciated, to grow, to learn. So like in what ways are you buying into the culture's criticism of the male and kind of partnering with the enemy, if you will, instead of like being courageous in your calling as a woman mm-hmm. and giving your husband space to lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been great. And, you know, thanks for hanging in there. We've covered a lot of ground. And obviously there's more to say, but with what we've covered, um, I hope you found it helpful, gotten some perspective and hope in, you know, how to manage difficult fathers. Um, Father John, Shay, thanks for being uh, here with me and thanks for listening to us and we look forward to the next episode. Thanks for listening and thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of your life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Check out our website, withyouintheweeds.com. You can find all our episodes there and a whole lot more. Or if you like what you're hearing, simply follow us on Instagram, like us and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds. Mm -hmm.